welcome to this new monthly podcast from the global screen business publication, Screen International, and our accompanying website, ScreenDaily.com. To our friends, we're just Screen, and we're keeping it casual too with the title of our new podcast, in which we'll be taking a monthly look at some of the hot topics and stories from the worlds of film and high-end television, as well as speaking to some of the top business and creative players working across them. I'm Matt Mueller, Screen's editor, and I'll be joined on each episode by my co-host, Fanula Halligan, who is Screen's chief film critic and reviews editor, as well as illustrious industry guests along the way. We kick things off this episode by exploring the official selection of this year's Cannes Film Festival, which was belatedly announced on the morning of June 3rd, a full six weeks after the date the festival would usually reveal its lineup prior to its regular May dates, but it was forced to change from last year due to the pandemic. Finn, welcome co-host to the first of Screen's regular podcast series. Han, what's going on? Matt, thank you for that warm welcome and introduction. What's going on? Well, Can is back. 6th of July to the 17th of July, and the official selection has been revealed by the um, Can chief, I suppose you would call him, the Delegate General, Thierry Fermeau, with a whole load of um, exciting names, directors, films, titles that we've been expecting, some that we weren't expecting. It's later, there's still a lot of, you know, elements to be ironed out around who can see them or where they will see them. But it's very exciting. And I think maybe we should sort of say this is separate to the market this year to describe how it's playing out. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, the, you know, the, the, Can Marche, which is part of the festival and runs alongside it. Last year, due to the cancellation of the festival, they set up uh, an online edition in June. And they are carrying that over this year uh, and running a special week, June 21st to 25th, in which they're going to host screenings for basically sales agents to be able to share some of their titles, uh, market premieres for the most part. And this is in advance of the, the physical event in July. And this is because of not really being 100% sure about how many people will be able to get to the physical event itself in July, um, but also recognizing the value of the Marche and of Cannes in terms of doing business for the international film industry. So they have set aside this week. Uh, they are um, anticipating around 60% market premiere. So it's a pretty good um, percentage of the overall sort of uh, number of films that are screening. Um, But they are still very much hoping that they'll have a sort of big event in July as well, and that they'll have a number of people able to attend in person. But I know for a fact that that is obviously still up in the air with a lot, and also that a lot of sales companies are still unsure about whether they'll sell, send many people, if anyone at all. I know for a fact that there is one rather big UK sales company that is not sending anyone this year, and they would normally be one of these sort of major companies on the Quasit. Um, and I know another UK sales company, which is um, just going to take a villa in the hills and bring its team down and almost kind of treat it as a little bit of a, of a summer holiday, which is very, very nice of them for their, for their team. So I think people are taking different approaches and probably won't make a lot of decisions won't be made until very late in the day once, once the sort of the travel restrictions and quarantine rules are, are made clearer. Um, by the French government. So I think, yes, no matter what happens, it's going to look very different, isn't it? Because of the time of year that it's at in July, it means that there will be a lot of French holidaymakers there. It'll be a different kind of crowd there. And then there's things like, you know, the pavilions, the national areas, which are um, normally dedicated to showing 
the domestic films or promoting domestic films i mean some of those will be there and some of those won't and it, it'll just look look a lot different and i hope that we'll be able to see it because at the moment of course the uk is stuck in a well we're not in a red light are we in an amber we're in an amber area and it doesn't look like we can come in but hopefully that will change um and the carton is closed of course the carton is under renovation so i think um yeah, so well, the hope is that everyone can come, but the, the main important takeaway is that it's happening. <laughs> so no matter whether you or I can come, it's happening and it looks absolutely terrific. It's a, a very can lineup. I think I wrote in screen that you would not see this lineup anywhere else. It's so Kansian. It's, it's got a lot of names of people who have previously won Palm Doors or have come up through the ranks, through the various sections in Cannes. You know, it's a sort of a, a sort of a, sometimes a, a slow march up the croisette from Critics Week into maybe you might even do a detour in Director's Fortnight, get into Uncertain Regard, and then you, you're in competition, or sometimes you just come straight into competition. Um, but it's certainly a, a list of names that we know and love. And even within the titles of uh, themselves and the directors that we know, there's also collaborators there. You know, for example, say um, Jacques Odiard, uh, Paris 13 District. That's been written by Céline Siama with, with, with Odiard. So it's, um, it's, it's just brimful of, of, of exciting can-like talents that we just can't wait to see wherever we see them. One matter of great hope was that as uh, Thierry Fermo, the Delegate General, gave an interview to Screen, that's us, and said that, um, that, that the festival has been contemplating or thinking about international screenings. So even if we can't get to the Croisette, it's possible that we'll be able to see the titles. Yeah, absolutely. And I think if you look at this lineup of films, I mean, you know, if you're if you're a cineast and you're an art house film lover, you're going to be very excited by some of the names that you see here. I mean, we know, for instance, Asghar Farhadi, obviously, you know, who who won Best Screenplay for The Salesman uh, when he was in competition and has been in competition uh, three times previously. So he's the great Iranian filmmaker. Uh, he's back with his new film, A Hero. Um, people will be very excited to see that. Uh, Francois Ozon, obviously a very prolific French filmmaker who has also been uh, in the Cannes competition before, the last time with L'Amont Double in 2017. Oh, no, he was in last year. He was in last year as well, wasn't he, Matt, with uh, Summer of 85? That's right. He was, in the, he was in the special Cannes label. And also, interestingly, it's interesting to see... Um, you know, filmmakers that you might associate more with Berlin, you know, also playing in competition this year. So, for instance, uh, Ildiko Enyede, the Hungarian filmmaker who won the Golden Bear in 2017 for On Body and Soul, is in Cannes competition this year with the story of my wife, which is a romantic drama starring Lea Seydoux and Louis Garel, two obviously great French stars. So it makes sense for her to be in, in you know, in Cannes competition. But interestingly, it's only her second time in Cannes, you know, and she, the last time she was uh, there was in 1989 with her film My 20th Century and for which she won the camera door. So um, she'll be hoping to walk off with some prizes again this year. Uh, and then we also have Nadav Lapid, the Israeli filmmaker, who also won the Golden Bear mm. for his last film, Synonym. So um, interesting to see some, you know, some Berlin filmmakers who've done well in Berlin now sort of playing in Cannes this year. Yes, I think I think um, the, the artistic direction team at Cannes had really a lot to choose from. There's, and there's a lot of titles that have held on for this um, for, for, in order to come back and play at Cannes. They didn't appear anywhere else. I mean, you mentioned briefly the Cannes label of 2020 because the festival couldn't take place. There were 56 titles that uh, were awarded the Cannes label and um, they went around the world in various guises to other festivals 
ones or the most uh, famous or the one that's probably you know more known to, to people would be another round of course which which won the academy award for best foreign film um thomas vinterberg and um uh, Mads Mikkelsen in that so um but some films you know they, they didn't want to take the can label and they wanted to wait and we know that some of these are for example Benedetta by Paul Verhoeven which is obviously um something we've all been looking forward to I mean a lesbian nun story who wouldn't who wouldn't look forward to that well, I Paul Verhoeven I mean come on yes exactly the film is based on the 1986 non-fiction book Immodest Acts the life of a lesbian nun in Renaissance Italy so uh Virginia Vera uh can't wait um uh, I'm glad that Paul Verhoeven um who is a can habitué held on and um and uh, his last film at Cannes, I think, uh, was Elle, wasn't it, with Isabel Huppert, who has a small role in this one. Well, Elle was his last time in Cannes, and I mean, that really, I think, kind of brought him back into favour with, you know, art house film lovers, you know, I mean, that, that film is just so entertaining with a great performance by Isabel Huppert. Um, so very excited to see what he does with, um, with lesbian nuns. Yes, it was the last film that played, actually, uh, Elle, and it just sort of saw that can off with, with a bang, and we all said, more Paul Verhoeven, and we've had to, I think they announced that, that project at the time, so uh, it's been a long wait. So another film that I say, I believe was shot quite a while ago is Bergman Island by uh, Mia Hansen-Love, um, a much-loved uh, and adored French filmmaker, and one of, I believe, four uh, women in competition, um, three of whom are French, and Bergman Island is... Um, well, I, you know, as I say, I, I, I'm not completely sure, but I believe that it is. It, it was shot quite a while ago. It's certainly been something that we've 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 known that it, that's on on the radar. So, looking forward to this very much indeed. That's about a, a couple who go to the island that 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 you know Ingmar Bergman um, hit his island in order to uh, to write something. I really don't know much more about the plot than that. Yeah, and she's uh, she's one of the younger filmmakers in competition this year, and uh, I think the other uh, younger filmmakers are also very exciting talents. Uh, uh, Julia Ducker now, obviously, who was a who had a big breakout when she was in Critics Week in 2016 with Raw, uh, and she's returning with only her second feature film, Titan. I mean, she came out of Cannes last time, such a hot property. You know, she was wooed by the states by American agents. She did go to. The states and shoot shoot a couple episodes of an Apple TV series called The Servant. So she's you know she's been a hot property, and this is only her second film. So it's it'll be really interesting to see what she's come up with. It's also the second film for the Finnish filmmaker Juho Kwasmanen. Uh, forgive me, Juho, if I completely butchered your name, but I'm very excited to see your film, Compartment Number Six. Uh, and uh, Juho was obviously in Cannes in 2016 in a certain regard with The Happiest Day in the Life of Oli Mackie which uh, was a big hit at the time. So those are two younger filmmakers. And then another one to mention is uh, the Japanese filmmaker, Ryosuke, Ryosuke Hamaguchi, who um, is actually just coming off the Silver Bear win uh, for Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy. And he's in Cannes competition for a second time after uh, he was back in competition in 2018 with Osaka 1 and 2. So his new film, Drive My Car, will be his second entry into competing for the Palm d'Or. I heard you mention 2016 there, Matt, and <laughs> that brought to mind the um, last time uh, Sean Penn was uh, in competition at Cannes um, with The Last Face. Oh, poor Sean. Poor Sean. It was, uh, and, and in fact... Not a great experience for him. 
it was not a great experience. It, it was not a good film. And, you know, and it was a film that probably shouldn't have been at Cannes. So, you know, I think it got elevated past where its natural place was, you know. It certainly, its natural place wasn't in competition. And, of course, Sean's made some great films, you know, The, the Crossing Guard. And, and, um, and he's, he's coming back now. And in fact, it seemed as if, um, with Flag Day, it seemed as if during the, the, the announcement of the competition that it was only confirmed during the announcement. I don't know if that's correct, but that's what it looked like. So I would assume that Sean, you know, who, who you know, had to walk the red carpet on, on the back of some horrendous reviews of the, the last phase in 2016, has, you know, is, 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 it must be pretty confident and, you know, has had advice and this is not going to... Um, received the, the, the same reception and I know you know it was very unfair and in fact it sort of changed everything for Cannes because at that time what would happen would be the press would see the um, film at the 8.30 a.m. press screening and then we would go and write the review as quickly as we could you know so I mean it got to impossible levels because people were texting reviews and you know tweeting sort of you know reviews and of films that had taken year, years to make and you know and the film would be you know would be over by two o'clock that afternoon so following that you know and then it's a humiliating walk it doesn't happen very often but when it does happen it just sort of seems rather 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 cruel and sort of a bit like roman the roman you know being in the Colosseum, you know so after that can changed its rules and um embargoed the reviews to the first public screening so the filmmakers are essentially um sitting in with their film by the time the reviews come out so we stopped completely stopped this um rush to kind of you know rush for the doors and sort of uh, very sensitive commercially as well for anyone and selling a film in in can to be subject to that kind of instant immediate uh, judgment so thanks to sean Penny for that and just to, to, to speak um because i appreciate that you know and i'm sure lots of other people do it's it's it, you, you need to think long and hard about the films that can tends to show you, you just can't it's difficult to kind of race out a review and then stand over it a year later but but anyway i imagine sean standing in his therapist's office before he sent the text to thierry saying he could program flag day in competition but you have to feel that both thierry and sean feel this film is is not going to come in with the same for the same kind of treatment because that was just one of the most um devastating set of reviews that a film could get at the time you know as you say did change the nature of how how can allows films to be reviewed yeah, exactly. So something something good came out of it. I mean, it's written by Jez Butterworth, um, or adapted by Jez Butterworth. Flag Day, I'm talking about his film, from the um, autobiography of our memoir of Jennifer Vogel, about a woman who seeks to um, overcome the legacy of her con man father. And as Sean is starring in it, and his daughter Dylan, is the, is playing the the lead role and um, Josh Brolin and Eddie Marsan are also in that. So um so I'm ex I'm excited to see that. Uh, yeah, I certainly am. Yeah, and you know just picking out a few other titles. Um, you know, Joachim Trier is returning to Cannes uh, with the third film in his Oslo trilogy, which is a comic drama about a woman turning thirty and entering into an existential crisis about her life. So. We'll look forward to that. He was last in competition with um, Louder Than Bombs in 2015. Asghar Farhadi, I think we have mentioned, but this will be his fourth time in Cannes competition. Obviously, Wes Anderson with The French Dispatch. We'll be very excited to see that. The Russian director, Kirill Serebrenikov, who was also in competition in 2018 with his film Leto, and his latest Petrov's Flu is about a flu-ridden family in post-Soviet Russian 
Russia who have some extraordinary secrets, uh, which of course get revealed during the course of the film. And he wrote this under house arrest in Russia. And I think Thierry hinted in his press conference that they're still not sure if Carol will be able to make it to Cannes, but you know, hopefully we'll see him there being able to watch walk the red carpet. We have, the, I mean, there's a couple on the face of it, you know, we, we never know what these films will re reveal to us, but there's a couple that on the face of it, um, should be talking points. Of course, I, I am naturally talking about the Leos Carax film, which is opening the festival, and that's uh, Annette, the musical, uh, directed by Leos Carax, and it's a screenplay by Ron Mail and Russell Mail of Sparks, recently the subject of a documentary by Edgar Wright. So it stars Adam Driver, Marion Cotillard. The, you know, the release date is in France, is scheduled for the um, start of the festival. So that's uh, going to make a big splash. And, you know, Leos Carax is, um, you know, <laughs> he's a man who's, um, you know, set a few headlines uh, alight at the festival before, you know. Um, you know. His first big film was Boy Meets Girl and Les Amants de Pont Neuf. I mean, who, who could forget that? And Holy, Holy Motors. So Holy Motors is just so brilliant. So uh, looking forward to that. And then on a, on a more serious level, there there is a a film by Justin Curzel called Nitram or Nitram. I'm, I'm not sure which. Um, which is his return to competition after Macbeth in 2015. But it's also the first Australian film to compete a can in a decade, which is really um, unusual. Seems a bit of an oversight given what the country has produced, but anyway. Um, the last film to compete was Sleeping Beauty in 2011, and that actually was the first film to compete in, in 2011. Uh, Oh, it's a it's a tricky one, Matt. You know, it's the um, it's it's a true life story of of a massacre in, in Australia, and um, apparently very violent. I mean, I I know people who've read the script, and it's uh, it's it's very very violent. It doesn't mention the gun by my name apparently, but it's uh, American. The American actor Caleb Landry Jones is in the lead role alongside Judy Davis and Anthony Lapalia as his parents. Apparently, there's not one murder shown on screen, and um, you know, it's about yes, the Port Arthur massacre in Tasmania in 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 1996. So a difficult time in Australian history, and it's always very difficult to to make a film uh, about things of this nature in, in a way that's sensitive to the people who. Who died and um, and the families who remain. He Justin Curzel is no stranger to Cannes. I mean, in two thousand and eleven, the Snowtown, which was uh, a very disturbing and brilliant film, played in Critics Week, and then he came back to Cannes. I think he closed it in two thousand and fifteen with his version of Macbeth. And he's a very um, muscular, strong filmmaker. So I fully expect. Nitram, which apparently spells Martin backwards, is uh, is going to be a difficult watch and is probably going to be a talking point for the festival. I mean, he's a he's a very very brilliant director, so I don't expect anything that he makes to be disrespectful or you know n not in any way suitable or, or throwaway or anything of that nature. But it, it probably will be a difficult watch. Perhaps the same might. Be said of the, the the film from the director of Chad Mohammed Saleh Harun, uh, who's also back in competition for a third time. I think he was last here with Grigri in 2013, and his new film Lingui: The Sacred Bonds, the story of a 
of a single mother whose teenage daughter is raped and becomes pregnant. And due to the fact that they live in Chad, which is a country where abortion is illegal, they decide to take matters into their own hands. So that'll I'm sure, be, be a very powerful uh, watch on a very kind of topical uh, subject at the, at the, you know, at the moment with obviously, you know, the rights to have an abortion being challenged in um, the United States in quite a significant way now. So this is, uh, this will be quite a timely film to watch, I think. But, you know, we should have some smiles as well along the way. I'm sure Nanny Moretti will deliver on that front. Going to say, Nanny Moretti, please. Yes, I hope I hope on the same day as the, you know, the port. This film about the Port uh, Arthur massacre, in which you know, thirty-five people died, I believe. Thirty-five or uh, thirty-five people died. So uh, yes, um, that's that will be something for the programmers um to to think seriously about. Yes, looking forward very much to um to to Nanny Moretti. Who uh, is he? Another director who's waited with his title, Matt. He did wait, yeah, because he was, there was some thinking that he might go to Venice after Cannes cancelled its festival last year. He was originally programmed in Cannes and, and then he, there was thinking he might go, he decided to hold off and wait until this year. So he'll be back. The film is Three Floors. Is that the correct English? I think so. Three or Three Floors Up. It's Tre Piani in, in Italian, which I'm sure excuse my pronunciation it's the story of three families living in three apartments in the same bourgeois condominium apparently and what about sean baker is it is, is, is this his first time yeah this is his eighth time in competition which is uh i think he, i think he's the winner in terms of this year the person who's been in competition the most he won in 2001 of course with the son's room and what about um, sean baker is it is, is is this his first time for Sean Baker, because he was down at he was down in Kansan with uh, uh, the Florida Project, yeah. yeah. So this is actually his official selection debut. So it's um, a washed-up porn star. I think A twenty four have bought it for the US. Simon Rex stars. Um, he it, it plays a yeah washed-up porn star who who returns home um into a small texas hometown even though apparently no one there really wants him back florida project yeah so this is actually his official selection debut written by sean baker um director of photography drew daniels sean baker alex coco samantha kwan alex saxon xi ching cho are producing so yes a24 picked picked up the rights from film nation so uh that's that's one that's definitely you know there won't be any question about that going out to american audiences and of course the florida project did uh, extremely extremely well um and was much loved and, and at the time i believe people thought it should have been playing in competition and and not in kanzen but you know kanzen has has great taste too so let them have it yeah Definitely. And yeah, I think there'll be some fun to be had in Nabil Ayush's Casablanca Beat, the music themed project, which sounds uh, going to be great fun. And we have to talk about uh, Memoria, of course, from the Thai director Apichat Pongwira Sethakul, who uh, won the Palm d'Or in 2010 with Uncle Bunmi, who can recall his past lives, was also in competition in 2004 with Tropical Malady, where he also won the jury prize. So he's always a very successful and um, popular filmmaker in competition uh, and is back with his 11th feature in Anne. Do you know much about it, Finn? Uh, not a lot, Matt. It's um, not easy to describe, apparently, but are any of his films easy to describe? He's, uh, it stars Tilda Swinton, which is um, a fantastic pairing, really, of a, a 
Parachapong with, with her. Um, can't wait to see what they come up with together. It's it's set in Colombia and, and it's filmed in the mountains of uh, Bogota. And it centers on her as a woman from Scotland, which she is, of course, uh, who, while traveling, confronts um, sights and sounds that call her identity into question. And of course, you know, Apatichapong's films are all about really sights, sounds, ghosts, spirituality, presences, you know. He has said that we will see her walking a lot like a ghost. So that does seem to fit in with his uh, his work he uh, his last feature was a 2015 cemetery of splendor you know so that's the kind of uh, past present life and death that he sort of plays with um lights and sounds so i'll really look forward to, to seeing that actually and tilda swinton as a ghost i'm already buying that so they're there i'm i'm can't wait to see it. That's a gives a pretty good rundown of competition. Obviously, we haven't mentioned every single title, but we want to also look at the rest of the selection as well. So, you know, he's Thierry this year. He's he's done some new things. He's he's returned on certain regard to its roots, to its origins as a section for young filmmakers, for young rising talents, and for more experimental visions as opposed to what it has become in recent years, which is a spillover for titles that he couldn't fit into competition. So, I think that's a smart move on his part and to compensate for that he's also created this new section called can premiere which is to accommodate you know known filmmakers who likely have played in competition before but won't or don't want to play in competition this year but will still have a now have a platform for their titles without the sort of pressures of competition and they'll they'll be screening those in the debussy uh, they'll get their own red carpet as well so that's a kind of almost it's a separate red carpet but it's to recognize some uh you know some some great sort of international filmmakers and this year that can premiere section the first one features you know filmmakers like Cornel Mundruxo, Arnaud Desplechins, Samuel Benchetreat, uh Ava Husson with her um UK production Mothering Sunday and Charlotte Gainsbourg with her um debut film which is a documentary about her mother called Jane by Charlotte uh Jane Birkin of course. Is there anything you're looking forward to in that section, Finn? The Cannes Premier section? Uh, it's, you know, it's a little bit confusing, Matt, because, you know, there is Cannes Premier, but we still have Out of Competition as well, as we'll get onto that later. We still have uh, six films in Out of Competition, and we have one film in Midnight Screening, and we have Uncertain Regard. Just a quick word on Uncertain Regard is that's where really I think the discoveries are going to be made this year. I mean, probably the only, you know, the, the most familiar names there would be, say, uh, Justin Chong from America. He's got his film Blue Bio and Alexei German Jr., uh, the Russian director, um, his film is called House Arrest. And there's a very strong representation for, for you know, f female uh, directors here, five first films. So that will be the section of the official selection where we sort of make some discoveries. Obviously, you know, Critics Week down the closet is dedicated to first and second time filmmakers. But going back to premieres, yes, I mean, we have the, uh, well, we have two films from the UK here. And here's where the UK is showing its its cards. Uh, although Eva Hassan is French, the film Mothering Sunday is, um, is, a, is a British film, is an adaptation of a story uh, set in the 1920s um, about a servant who gets Mothering Sunday um, off and has nothing to do with sort of aristocrat, I suppose, you know, where she's having an affair to the uh, with the heir of the household. Mothering Sunday is what it is in this film. And we also have Cow from Andrea Arnold, which is a documentary. Uh, Andrea Arnold, uh, one of the UK's brightest and most distinctive talents has been in Cannes before and um, looking forward to seeing that one. 
It's already quite long, isn't it? That's the other thing I was thinking. Yeah, it's a long-held ambition of hers, this film. And in fact, I believe, once again, we never know these things for, for sure, but I believe it was ready last year and she's held. Yeah, and it's interesting. I mean, Thierry implied in, you know, in our interview with uh, that we ran today on Screen Daily that he, you know, that this is maybe an option, I suppose, for filmmakers who might not want to sort of put up with the pressures of being in competition now. I mean, he maybe he would say that, but it is interesting to see some of the filmmakers in this section because you would think Ava Husson would be someone who could be in competition but then in our interview he said she had a bad experience the last time she was in competition with Girls of the Sun and you know when that whenever that was two two or three years ago. We have Oliver Stone in here as well so it's an odd mix you know in Hong Sang Soo we have Oliver Stone with JFK revisited through the looking glass you know going over that 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 old chestnut again for Oliver Stone um, and look forward to the, the new take on that and um, and we have Hong, Hong Sang-soo so and we have Matthew Amalric as well you know so it's um it's a bit of a mixed bag looking forward to it see 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 how it gets its identity because Siri says it's a permanent fixture but over in outer competition you know we have Emmanuel Burko we have Todd Haynes with his documentary about the Velvet Underground now I have to say this is one that I am super looking forward to uh, as, as something that will be really enjoyable, I bet. I mean, Todd Haynes, brilliant. Velvet Underground, brilliant. What's not to look forward to? And we have um, Still Water by Tom McCarthy, the Oscar-winning film for Spot, uh, director of Spotlight. So Still Water, you know, that's that's a that's a studio film. It's scheduled for release in the US at the end of July through Focus. It stars Matt Damon and Camille Coltan from Call My Agent. And it's it's one of these hybrid films where, you know, like the opening film, Annette, where you have French and, you know, American or UK talent in that Matt Damon plays an oil wor worker in Stillwater, Oklahoma, who learns that his estranged daughter, um, played by Abigail Breslin, is studying in Marseille and has been arrested and charged with murdering her girlfriend. And he travels over there to try help her ends up moving permanently there and um where and he's helped in his in his fight by uh, a french woman and that's where it by, played by camille cotin so this sounds like a very kind of familiar sort of premise you know sort of a legally tinged thriller um secrets run deep is the tagline a lot of films more than usual first film is a documentary by sergey Lutznitsa. You know, Karim Ainous has got a film in the special screenings. That's a five-section sidebar as well. That also has Shlomi Elkabetz's film about his sister, Ronit, who, of course, sadly died a black book so um that'll be interesting to see and yeah sergey's documentary is about the murder of um 34,000 jews and not the occupied kiev in 1941 so again you know will be a a very intense and heavy watch i'm sure documentary but you know he's he's such a brilliant director sergey sergey let's and he, you know in documentary and in fiction and i i know it's an odd thing to say but i am looking forward to seeing that film yeah and there's some great directors in that portmanteau film the year of the everlasting storm which is also in special screenings. I mean, we have Jafar Panahi, Anthony Chen, Apichit Pong, where Sethical is there again, Laura Poitras and David Lowry. So, you know, it's really, it'd be very interesting to see that film. Yeah. So all in all, I mean, I, you know, you think that, you know, Cannes just seems so sort of, you know, set, uh, you know, established. It's a, It hasn't really changed since 1968 when the filmmakers ran off down the closet and set up Director's Fortnight. But, you know, bit by bit, things do change. And there has been a bit of a, you know, jiggle around in the way they're attempting to do things this year. So we'll just have to see how that plays out in 
in coming years. It's a funny thing about canon that you, you know what the sections represent and what they mean and why somebody would be in one section and not in another. So we'll have to figure figure all that out at the end of this festival. And also too, you know, by the time this podcast comes out, there will be an announcement for Directors Fortnight and for Critics Week. And we are bound to see some interesting things in there. I think we, we believe we know of two British films that are going to be there, correct Matt? In Directors Fortnite, yes. We, I feel like we could say them and be safe, but of course we don't want to sort of tempt fate for either of those filmmakers, so we'll, we will not mention them and we'll just, by the time you, by the time you listen to this, you will probably know what they are. <laughs> so, so, so that's, um, that's there to look forward to. So, you know, I mean, even if we can't go, Matt, we can, we can appreciate from afar, can't we? How do you think he's done with diversity and representation this year? I mean, you know, we mentioned in a certain regard, that's, you know, as he's, as we sort of said, he's returning that to its roots. And I think eight of the 18 filmmakers are women in that section. And there's some really exciting, I think, talents there. I mean, I'm, I think there's a, as you say, that is really going to be the section of discovery. There's some really, there are some filmmakers we, we probably know a little bit about, and there's some brand new filmmakers as well. But I mean, the, for instance, the Bulgarian filmmakers, Mina Maleva and Vesela Kazakova, who, who had made Cat in the Wall, a few years ago, which was a really great film. They're returning with a film called Women Do Cry, which explores you know, the issues of gender and gender-related violence in Bulgaria's very patriarchal society, but with, uh, with a sort of strong bent of humor as they had in their, in their film, Cat in the Wall as well, Cat in the Wall. Um, and that film also features, interestingly, Maria Bakalova, the breakout from Borat. So she's part of the she's part of the ensemble cast. There are a pair of female filmmakers to look out for in that section. And there's a debut which I'm very intrigued by called La Civile, which is a Romanian-Belgian co-production. The filmmaker is Teodora Anna Mihai, who was born in Romania but grew up in Belgium. And she's made a story, a kind of Mexican drug cartel story about a mother who's trying to find her daughter, goes off in search of her, who's, uh, the daughter who's gone missing. And it's interesting as well, the, the production houses, which are behind uh, her film, and they, and they include the Dardenne Brothers production house and Christian Mungu's production house. And she shot the film in Mexico last fall. So I'm very interested to see that film, you know, what she's come up with, with with that story. Yeah, but Matt, I have to say, though, you know, I think we, we can say with all the will in the world, and that's 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 great. And Sierra from always pointed to that in our piece on screen, that, you know, that that's where we'll see the new talent breaking. But that doesn't really help ameliorate the fact that out of 24 films in competition, only four were directed by women. Now, we, you know, obviously agreed who wants quotas you know nobody wants quotas but at the same time it's it's got to be better than this it's the it's the joint most in the history of the festival but there's more there's more films you know so the the previously in 2019 and 2011 there were there were four films in competition but they only had 21 and 20 films at that time you know and times have changed you know we've had me too we've had black lives matter and and I appreciate what Monsieur Fermo is saying about he has a difficulty in what's coming up through the schools and what he's being shown and that, you know, there's historical disadvantages in society which have meant that women, minority filmmakers, find it difficult to, to get to the point of making films. But I do feel that in a year, the year that Chloe Zhao won the Academy Award for Best Film um, for Nomadland, um, I, I just feel we should be past this. And I'm glad to see that Spike Lee is is the head of the jury. 
Uh, that's fantastic. And I also am well aware that last year, you know, Cannes had programmed two films from the Small Axe series directed by Steve McQueen. But it is, you know, if you look at the US representation and you see, you know, it's all white, you know, all male, and, and you just just want it to move a bit faster. But then that's that's what I just said to you before about the sections not changing and can being, you know, a very big machine. It's just, I just do think we could just push it a bit harder. Um, the good news is that there's six French films in competition and out of those six films, that's 50-50 gender based, you know. And he will have, he will have made that decision deliberately for sure. You know, six plots of girl and he was going to, and he was going to go for a 50-50 makeup. So that, so that maybe is where he's exerting his influence in the right direction. But you're absolutely right the fact that there's only one other female filmmaker in that selection, you know, non-French female filmmaker. And, and that is disappointing. It's just like, I mean, I know that people get annoyed and, you know, talk about being woke. And I just sort of feel like we just shouldn't be talking about this anymore. You know, this just shouldn't be a discussion anymore. We shouldn't have to be looking at the numbers. We should be beyond it. And, and if for anyone who would sort of argue, I, I will say that, you know, when women make films and minority filmmakers and make films and they make films about different things, they make different stories, they give us emotions and feelings and, you know, lessons and lives that we haven't seen before. And that's great for cinema and it moves cinema forward. So the reason why I always talk about this, or I want to talk about this is because of my love like can for cinema and I want it to move forward. And it feels maybe like cinema has some catching up to do even with television at this stage you know when you can have series like i may destroy you and small acts the anthology series which you know which was selected for, for two of its installments for cat the can label last year so it could have played on the quasette had the festival gone ahead but you absolutely feel like there is a lot those voices are getting a lot more opportunity in that you know in the high-end tv space than they are in films and you know we do want to and this is where someone like thierry has an immense amount of power and can really help careers and help the kind of storytelling that we want to see on the big screen. Yes, and, and you know, and I, I don't think, you know, I was just going to say we don't want the festival circuit to kind of like seed, you know, the progressive ground to, to the streamers or not be part of this conversation. But, you know, Cannes is really an outlier a bit on this. I mean, even Venice, which had previously been an outlier, did, did, did a lot better last year. And, um, you know, Sundance has proved that, you know, you, you, you can do it. You just have to really, really want to. And uh, but but I agree that you know, it can as a French film festival and the fact that it's 50-50 of French directors is, is significant because we mustn't forget that it's French, even though it's a, an international festival, it's a French festival too. So I, I think that's encouraging. But yes, you're absolutely right about the streamers and small acts would have shown last year because it was a bbc back production and can um the, the two 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 parts of small acts can insist that it's in the rules that if you want to be in competition it must have a french distributor and the bbc had made a special arrangements just in france for it to be shown theatrically in order for it to uh, to play there but that you know netflix refuses to do that so um oh i'm just mentioning one streamer but netflix and that would probably explain why we didn't see Jane Campion this year and we may see her in Italy in September. Absolutely. Well, Finn, before we uh, before we sign off our first podcast, are there any, what are you most excited about seeing and what do you, or what are the kind of unusual films in the lineup that, that you're in? Well, the one I'm, I'm probably least, least excited about seeing, but may end up being the best in the way these things are, are is the, is, is Val, <laughs> 
which is 40 years of Val Kilmer shooting himself, um, has been edited together and directed by Ting Poo and Leo Scott. I wouldn't say that that's, that would kind of bounce me out of bed at 8.30 in the morning, but the way these things happen, it could end up being absolutely brilliant. So who knows? And look, there's so many things here that I want to see that it's almost impossible to, to pull out one. It, it really is hard if, you know... <sighs> I can't, Matt, I can't, I can't say one. <laughs> Not a single film, no, exactly. There's too many. It's, it really is a kind of proper smorgasbord, isn't it, for this year? So many films. And you're looking forward to them in different ways. You know, you're looking forward to Memoria in a different way that you'd be looking forward to The French Dispatch, that you'd be looking forward to Nitram, you know. So in a way, that, that sort of says what the competition is all about. It's hard to compare. It's, you know, it's apples and oranges, but, you know. Bergman Island versus Benedetta, you know, it's, it's going to be fun for Spike Lee to figure out, you know, figure out from, from, from all that's in front of him. Absolutely. And well, I mean, our plan is that we will be there, right? If we, if we, if we can find a way around this UK quarantine situation, I think, you know, I think obviously the, you know, the festival is very much hoping that will happen. They're working hard, I'm sure, behind the scenes to you know create an exemption or what we don't know what that's going to be yet i mean who knows by the time this podcast comes out we may have an answer but for sure we will be on the ground at the Cannes film festival and recording our second episode from there next month look forward to seeing you all then well finn look thank you very much i think that was i think we ran through the selection in pretty pretty good detail and very excited to see the films and thank you very much for joining me today hope everyone enjoyed listening and we will see you all very soon Bye for now. Bye.